Greetings, my name is Griffin Schaefer. And my name is Scott Peterson. And this is episode 82 of Inside Quizzing. A podcast about Bible quizzing for folks who love the Bible. And in this episode 82, Scott and I are going to be talking about some things virtual. So virtual things. We're going to be talking about transitioning into virtual. If you've never done virtual quizzing before and your district might be adopting some of that, we're going to be talking about some tips and tricks for how to deal with that transition into virtual quizzing. And we're going to be talking about how to transition out of virtual. There are some districts where folks have been involved in virtual for the better part of a, well, yeah, actually the better part of a year and maybe in a month or two, it'll actually be a year, actually probably three months, I guess. I don't know who's counting something like that. Um, it'll, it'll be fully officially a year. Uh, and the hope is that we move out of virtual quizzing into in-person quizzing as quickly as possible. And of course, we want to be able to be prepared for that. So we're going to talk a little bit about some ideas around how to prepare yourself to transition from virtual back to in-person. And then we've actually got some pretty interesting philosophical ideas to debate. Um, potentially, Scott and I disagree on some of these. So that, that'll be fairly interesting on how to write questions to test material knowledge. And we've got a couple of specific examples there, but to kick us all off into getting into that conversation about getting into and out of virtual quizzing, I wanted to talk about the uh, meet schedule for PNW. Uh, so this is, um, we have on, on the PNW website, pnwquizzing.org. And in fact, I'm going to actually load it up right now. I didn't do that right before the podcast. But uh, if you look on the homepage there, there is a button or a link for the meet schedule. And you'll be able to see all of our regular district meets, all five of them. You'll see the Great West Invitational listed there, district championships, and in fact, internationals. And there's been, I've been trying to keep this page as up-to-date as possible as things and stuff happen throughout the course of the year, the season, and month to month, and so forth. And so you'll note that there is an update there where I've got district meets for PNW anyway. District meets 3, 4, and 5 are listed as being virtual, but behind them or, or after them, I have this sort of percentage chance of them being switched to in-person. Now, this is these are percentage chances that are entirely based on incredibly double-blind scientific studies that I just made up in my head. So don't take these too terribly seriously. But uh, at the moment, I am predicting a 10% chance of a change to an in-person meet for our district meet number three that's coming up in January, uh, in the middle of January, January 15th and 16th. Uh, that changes to a 20% chance for district meet number four, which is uh, in February, uh, February 19th and 20th. And I'm going to be really optimistic. Actually, I don't think I'm optimistic. I think I'm I'm realistic in saying I think there's a 50% chance that district meet number five in March, it's near the end of March, March 26th and 27th, I think there's a 50% chance that that actually switches to an in-person meet. Now, all of this is going to be based on Washington and Oregon uh, state policies in terms of, you know, what the governments of these two states are going to allow organizations to do and so forth. And uh, those sorts of recommendations we're going to be abiding by 
in as far as PNW quizzing is concerned, certainly we're all hoping and praying that we can meet back in person as soon as possible. But with that, and and of course, you know, we're watching the you know the vaccine rollouts, Pfizer and Moderna. Uh, I think Moderna just got approved late last week, and Pfizer. I think it was about maybe a week before that. I, I, I forget exactly what the dates are for that stuff. And then the rollout uh, and the consumption and and of those vir- uh, vaccines and how those will interplay in terms of of you know getting us to herd immunity and getting us to a point where we can actually start to meet back together in person again. So as time progresses, I'm going to be adjusting these percentages. These are not sort of set in stone, but sort of, you know, week to week, month to month, I'm going to be adjusting them. So you can kind of check back and see where things are at. But as soon as we can get there, we're going to be transitioning uh, away from virtual and back to in-person. And of course, you know, when it comes to Great West, which is, you know, the Great West Invitational Meet, that happens right after District Meet number f- uh, five. Last year, we had to do that virtually uh, by a different name, but I mean, it, it was effectively the Great West Invitational, uh, just virtual. Uh, that is scheduled this year for April 9th through the 11th. It is uh, scheduled at Crow's Nest Lake Bible Camp, just like, uh, well, two years ago and the years prior to that, or the couple of years prior to that as well. Uh, but that is different because in terms of you know predictability because instead of predicting what Washington and Oregon state policymakers are going to say we actually have to predict what Washington and Oregon and Alberta and BC too I think um wait Scott if we do the traditional route up through Sandpoint Idaho into Canada do we enter BC before we go to Alberta or do we just go do we skip BC entirely and go straight into Alberta I will look, but I seem to think that we go through Alberta, but I, I've i never, this sounds bad as an American, I've never had to care which uh, province we were in, so I really am not sure. Well, wait a minute. Cranbrook is British Columbia, isn't it? I think you're right, and we definitely yeah, go right through and we go through so. Cranbrook. So yeah, we would go through BC first and then go to Alberta. Um, I'm trying to remember where the line between the two comes down, I think comes down somewhere in, in Western Montana, but I can't, <laughs> my geography is really bad. So I'm it's having trouble uh, seeing that in my head. Um, anyway, so yeah, we have to, we have to make sure that we're okay with, uh, you know, Washington and Oregon policy, BC policy, Alberta policy, the uh, Crow's Nest Lake Bible Camp policy and Canadian policy and US policy at the uh, national levels. So all kinds of all kinds of things that we have to be careful about uh, in terms of Great West. So right now I'm predicting there's about a 40% chance that it will end up becoming virtual. So a 60% chance that it is in person. It's currently scheduled to be in person, but you know, who, who knows? 40% is still a fairly healthy chance and April is still a long ways away. Although the time does go very quickly. Uh, in the quiz season, uh, April is still a long ways away. So um, we'll see how that progresses. Then coming back to PNW. Actually, Griffin, yeah? mm-hmm. looking, at it, looking at it right here, Crosness, uh Lake Bible Camp is barely into Alberta. Oh, so okay. we are really only about five minutes into Alberta. In, I mean, yeah, into Alberta. And most of the time we're in Canada, we are in British Columbia, which is still not a very significant amount of time, but we will be in both. Right. Yeah. But of course, that the, that means, of course, then we have to care about the provincial policies of both provinces. <laughs> um, so yeah, Alberta, BC, Washington, Oregon, US federal and Canadian national. Um, 
So it's going to be entertaining uh, to make sure that that gets all sorted out and appropriate. And of course, you know, this is this is hosted by uh, 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 Westcan, and so we need, you know, in terms of. Uh, you know, them managing it, they're ultimately going to be making these decisions. Uh, you know, certainly they're going to be making those decisions with, with in consultation with the other districts. Uh, and, you know, PNW certainly will be consulted, but it's ultimately uh, up to Western Canada to decide how and even if Great West happens uh, as we get closer and closer to that date. So any news that comes out about that, we will let everybody know. Uh, and then coming back, looking back at in PNW district championships, we have it scheduled our district championships for PNW on April 23rd and 24th. Right now, I'm saying this is probably going to be in person. We have it scheduled to be in person at Alliance Bible Church, ABC in Covington, Washington. I'm going to say there's about a 10% chance uh, based on a very scientific study I just made up in my head about uh, this that we will be potentially switching to virtual for that one. Hopefully not. Hopefully by, you know, late April, the worst of this will be over. Um, but you know, stranger things have, <laughs> stranger things have happened, uh, and, and could very well happen in 2021. So let's just see how things progress. And then in, uh, in July, we have internationals, uh, currently scheduled. It is scheduled for July 5th through the 10th. Uh, it is going to be at crown college, uh, in St. Bonifacious, that's almost certainly not pronounced correctly, but it is in Minnesota, uh, go Vikings. And there's a, a 1% chance. I think that this will change to a virtual meet. Hopefully that 1% chance never, ever happens. Uh, but July 5th through the 10th. So mark your calendars. And I'm sure, you know, the CP, uh, CQLT is going to do everything they can to have as much of the meet, uh, be, displayed online as possible. Uh, Zach last year had all four rooms streaming online so folks could uh, watch what was happening live. And that was pretty awesome. So I'm sure he's going to be doing something similar uh, coming up. So everybody will be able to watch what happens there. All right. Well, um, Scott, what do you think about the schedule? Do you think, um, uh, uh, do you think any of my scientific studies that I made up in my head are incorrect? And do you have any uh, sort of thoughts about any of this stuff? I don't, I don't know if they're incorrect, but I, I'd like to see the predict it or bet fair public market betting odds on uh, those meets happening in person versus virtual. I would as well, uh, because I think that would be awesome if such folks who were involved in bet fair and various other on predicted and other sorts of prediction markets, it would be really awesome if they knew about quizzing and cared enough about quizzing to wager on such things. Um <laughs> Yeah, I am kind of curious. Like, um, yeah, it, it probably wouldn't be best for quizzing in the long run to have a shoeless Joe Jackson type scenario, but it would bring publicity. Mm, that is very true. Now, um, years ago, did you ever subscribe to or hear of this website called Lark News? No. Okay, so both. it's <laughs> it's sort of like the Babylon Bee, but it was sort of like a uh, an early version of the Babylon Bee. It was sort of like an early you know, Christian spinoff of the onion in a sense. And one of the first articles that they published was a doping scandal in Bible quizzing. And I, I saw that and just, I, I couldn't stop, stop laughing for weeks. It was just, it was beautiful. It was incredibly intelligently written. Whoever wrote it 
either had had been a Bible quizzer or was somehow, you know, very involved in Bible quizzing because they, the way they wrote it, the things that they put in were just so exactly on point for like, you know, our bizarre little geeking out obsessions about how quizzing works. And so I just, I love that art. I wish I could find it. It's probably on the, you know, the historical web somewhere uh, around there, but um, yeah, I think there's probably some, there's probably some niche prescription drug you could cut, you could figure out that would actually benefit quizzing in some way. Just like in golf, people are always surprised to hear that some golfers take beta blockers to keep their heart rates um, on an even keel when they are under pressure. <laughs> there is probably something something similar in knowledge sports that is definitely different than um, like steroid usage in uh, more physical sports, right? <laughs> right, right. Well, you figure like a B12 would be a good idea sometime in the morning. Um, as much as I love coffee, coffee is probably not a good idea right before a quiz meet. Uh, but like, you know, uh, having a B12 and some orange juice and, you know, eating very healthy, uh, the day before, and then the day of a quiz meet is, is going to be a really big deal. Um, in terms of prescription drugs, I have absolutely no clue what would be, I mean, I can think yeah, of, of, you know, some over the counter things, but I can't even, Im- I can't imagine what prescription drugs would matter. Yeah, the killer drug is really sleep, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. If you get good quality sleep, uh, and and you have a healthy, you know, breakfast that will that will do a lot. So, and when I say healthy breakfast, mostly protein, a little bit of carbs, uh, some orange juice. You're gonna you're gonna be doing pretty well uh, in terms of like you know your energy level. And like what Scott was talking about, you know, several podcasts ago, you're managing your energy level on you know Saturday after early afternoon is a very big deal. Yeah. I mean, it is partially due to the teams getting stronger and stronger as the meet goes on, but it is pretty incredible looking at quiz H versus I versus J, how in I the accuracy just nosedives. Now part of that part of that is definitely the last gasp to get into finals, but late in the afternoon on Saturday, accuracies across the board just plummet. Yeah, indeed. Well, and you can see it in, in, you know, in quizzers faces too, right? You get a not so great uh, sleep the night before, you know, especially, you know, if you've, if you've been on a long road trip and you're being, you know, housed with your team and, you know, Friday night, you stay up late, you're, you're having fun, you don't get very good sleep, you wake up the next morning and maybe you drink some coffee, you know, that maybe you skip out on breakfast and you show up to devotions and worship and, and have kind of, you know, that we, we can, we can see it, you know, there's a lot of low energy, uh, you know, early Saturday morning, and then you kind of wake up a little bit and adrenaline kicks in and Saturday morning, you're doing okay. Then you've got Saturday lunch and then we start quizzing again and you kind of get that post Saturday lunch sleep nap need sort of sort of show up and like yeah right around 1 30 like everything just sort of slows way down um so you know we can we can see it as officials definitely yep and it just matters what's most important to you um if you really want if scoring really really well for an entire meet is important to you i think there are definitely ways that you can get get a leg up in everybody else um but it's not for everybody that's true that's true yeah all right. Well, so that's kind of what we're looking at in terms of the 2020-2021 uh, quiz meet schedule. Uh, I, and, you know, as 
things shift and change, you know, we'll keep you updated in terms of what's on the website and we'll also update you on the podcast and so forth. But this is the way things are, at least right now. So we in PNW have been doing virtual since basically March of last year. And we had actually been, I think we had been talking about doing virtual at the very tail end of February. Uh, and our first, our first actual virtual meet was, I think, in the middle of, of March of last year. So we're getting kind of old, uh, sick and tired of this. We're, we're wanting to switch away from virtual and go back to in-person as soon as we can. Uh, maybe that happens by district meet number four, probably more likely to happen by district meet number five, but, but at some point it's going to happen. So, uh, you know, that's kind of where our minds are at, but there are other districts that have not do uh, dived, divot, driven, driven, Dovin. Dovin, Dovin. Uh, there have not been an, there are some districts who have not fully 100% Dovin yet into virtual, but are going to very soon. Um, I'm helping uh, at least one district uh, transition to virtual here uh, over the next week. Uh, and so we wanted to talk a little bit about some tips for switching into virtual. So if you have never done virtual before, or even if you have and you're looking for ways to just get better at it, we wanted to kind of talk through some tips for how to get better. So the first thing I wanted to talk about is technology. So with in-person quizzing, you know, we still use a fair bit of technology. You know, the, the officials do certainly, but quizzers don't have to, right? You, you show up and depending upon your district, you know, you might be using bibs, you might be using, you know, paper rosters, that kind of thing. In PNW, we use bibs uh, to avoid having doing, you know, uh, paper rosters. But again, this is pretty low tech. Um, the highest tech thing that you're going to, you know, encounter as a quizzer is the pad on your chair, basically. So, um, well, I guess the microphone too counts as technically some form of technology, but uh, it's pretty low tech uh, in terms of quizzing. That being said, in virtual, it is very high tech. It is necessarily high tech. So you're going to have, you know, your computer, whether that be a desktop, laptop, you can technically use a tablet or a phone. Um, I've been strongly recommending that folks avoid using any sort of device that isn't at least a laptop or bigger, uh, just in terms of, you know, the making sure you can interface with the interface effectively and quickly, right? Uh, tablets are phenomenally great at consuming information. Uh, and in terms of like, you know, if you're on a, uh, a you know, a face-to-face -face call, a Zoom call or, or whatever, a uh, Hangout call or something like that, it, it they work just fine. Uh, but when it comes to virtual quizzing, th there's some delay, there's some effort in you interacting with the interface, uh, the UI and those, you know, that, those, that, that tiny little change can make a world of difference. So, uh, in terms of like your jumping speed, quote unquote, jumping speed, uh, and your responsiveness in terms of getting off of mute and being able to answer and not really, and not being distracted. I think that's the biggest thing, right? Like you know, as a quizzer in an in-person meet and the quiz master calls your name, uh, you're not really distracted. I mean, there, there are some distractions that happen in the room, but generally speaking, like you only have to worry about standing up, walking to the microphone and saying your answer. And if you don't actually get to all the way to the microphone, as long as the quiz master hears you, that's good enough, right? Uh, in virtual, you have to 
jump by pressing enter with your, you know, type in your bib number, hit enter in, in at the, the right time. When you get called on, you have to unmute, right? So you're dealing with technology at the same time your brain is trying to remember what the quiz master said and answer, right? And provide an answer, right? So instead of solely being able to focus on what were the, what was the last syllable the quiz master vocalized? Uh, and can I get anything additional off of the, the formation of the lips via the video? Uh, instead of thinking about that, you're thinking, where's the unmute button, right? So there, there's a, and it's, and you know, it's not a significantly high cognitive load to sort of switch to the, you know, unmute and then start answering, but it is something that is non-zero, right? And so it's something to keep in mind. So in terms of tech, uh, I, I, you know, I, I say this a lot, but please test your tech ahead of the meet. Um, there, you know, most folks, they show up to the meet, they're prepared, their tech is, is functional, everything works fine, but there's always at least a few quizzers where their mics don't quite work right, uh, their internet connections don't quite work right, um, there's, you know, and, and, and sort of complications that, are, uh, you know, evolve from all of that stuff. So if your mic levels aren't set correctly and the quiz master can't hear you, that's on you, not the quiz master, right? There aren't, there aren't do over do overs in virtual, uh, because your tech didn't work, right? So please test your tech ahead of time. Uh, you know, test it between friends online, make sure they can hear you, that your mic is clear and clean, that you're in a quiet space in a quiet room with no background noise, that kind of thing. If you're going to have uh, quizzers from the same team quiz together. So like, you know, if you're a captain, you're going to, and you want your, your quiz team to be in the same room together with you. Uh, and I totally get that, right. Especially if you're talking about like, you know, families quizzing, you've got, you know, a couple of brothers, sisters, and you're all on the same team. I totally get wanting to be like in a one quiet room together that that's totally reasonable, but make sure that you don't have like everybody's speakers turned on at the same time, uh, you know, cause you're going to get echoes. There's going to be, you know, like a quarter of a second, uh, an eighth of a second delay, and you're going to hear echoes of yourself across the other, uh, uh, devices that are in the room and so forth. So work all of that stuff out ahead of time. You like maybe have just one device and everybody shares it. And then folks are, have headphones on, uh, or vice versa. You know, everybody has their own device, but is wearing headphones. Everybody's muted except one person when they're talking, however you want to do it. Right. But, but test that stuff ahead of time and you want to test it to the point really practice with it so that you're completely comfortable with how your setup works such that you don't have to think about it right like like you don't want to invest cognitive load at the point of answering a question you don't want to invest cognitive load in figuring out your tech you want as much of close to 100% of your cognitive load to be about the question and there's going to be, you know, maybe half a percent related to like, oh yeah, I have to unmute, but like, it should almost be like muscle memory, right? Uh, and that only happens through, uh, practice. So if your team is able to practice together in person, that's great, but don't do that exclusively. Make sure you have a, a certain number, a certain number of practices that you're doing virtually so that you're able to, you know, flip over into a quiz meet most effectively. Um, so anyway, on, on tech uh, or anything else related to that, um, Scott, do you have any sort of additional thoughts there? So going back over what you said, um, I, I kind of have three things to reiterate. The first is preparedness. 
Now, in the past, it was the quiz masters and the other officials who needed to have the preparedness around tech um, and have all of the applications open that they needed and have the questions as close to the lights and everything. Um, and now that preparedness is not just limited to quiz masters. It is also applied to quizzers. So be prepared in all those aspects. The second one was testing. There is a reason why the quiz masters test the lights before every single quiz, even if they have been working for the previous 10 quizzes. It's because things just happen in tech. You know, someone flips a switch and you didn't notice. Something just stops working for, no, for seemingly no reason. Um, and that's why we retest. Um, today I was doing a, a demo for work and it was stuff that I had done before, but I just decided to run through it this morning and it didn't work in the way that I remembered. So it's a good thing I decided to do it then and not right when I was doing a demo. So test early and test often with your setup, you know, muting and unmuting and saying something. Um, and you know, you can have free zoom accounts and call your buddy in the next room and just test and test and make sure that, um, you can hear. And, um, I had three things. I don't remember what the last one was. Um, but I think, yeah, the preparedness and the testing are both big, big keys because you... Oh, I think the third was just... It's it's in the same vein as preparedness, but you don't want to have to think about unmuting yourself. You want to have um, your message typed in to jump with your finger over the enter and maybe the mouse cursor on the unmute or know how to unmute with the space bar just have all of that figured out so that it's seamless when it comes to it. Because from watching some virtual quizzing, it is pretty often that the quizzer who jumps takes two to five seconds to unmute themselves and begin answering. And that's two to five seconds that you have lost. And I don't know what mentally they have lost in that time from trying to unmute themselves and maybe taking their mind off of the last thing that they heard from the quiz master and what their train of thought was. Yeah, that's very true. So I've noticed that as well, that it, it you know, there are, I don't know, maybe about half of quizzers usually take about uh, two seconds, second and a half to two seconds to unmute. And I can hear that because it goes from, you know, the audio goes from complete dead silence to I hear, you know, that 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 very faint kind of hiss of background noise, uh, you know, when when somebody unmutes uh, before they start talking. Uh, and, you know, it's totally fine to take your time thinking you don't have to answer, you know, within half a second of being called, you know, take your time to figure out what you want to say, but you want to get that unmute taken care of as rapidly as possible. Uh, you don't want to be thinking about it. Um, and now it's my turn to forget what my third thing was. There was a third thing there. Um, and being right, right, right. Okay. So the other thing that I've noticed in virtual and this, I have not done any sort of, you know, real studying of this in turn. This is just sort of my personal interpretation or, or, or observation, which could be highly, highly flawed. And it's certainly very anecdotal, but it seems like quizzers are running up to their 30 seconds to answer a lot more frequently, right? So like there've been folks who get questions correct 27 seconds in, 28 seconds in. Sometimes they're really close and they're missing like one word, the bell rings and then they say the word, you know, and I and I have to count them incorrect, right? Um your time starts the moment I call your name. It does not start when you unmute right? Um, your timer starts the moment I call your name. So don't 
don't just give up five seconds of your 30 seconds. Um, you know, be ready straight away to jump in uh, after your jump to unmute and, and, and get going. Now, certainly, you know, you don't have to rush your answer. You've got 30 seconds. Well, you should have 30 seconds, right? You don't need to go faster than you normally do when you're reciting your answer. And, and if you need a couple of seconds, 10 seconds to think of your answer uh, before you say it, then by all means, absolutely do that, right? Um, I think it's one of those things of like, just don't, don't sacrifice five plus seconds, you know, with, with the tech stuff, have your brain go in, in the tech direction and then have to revert back to, okay, now, wait a minute, what was the question and how do I answer it and all that kind of stuff. Right. And, and that, that all comes from just repetitive, repetitive, uh, practice. Um, so, you know, kind of on that same vein, some other things to think about, I, this is all, you know, I haven't virtually quizzed myself. Um, I've done a fair bit of virtual quiz mastery at this point, but, but so I, I have not, I have not quizzed myself. So I can't, I, I, I don't know that this is true, but I suspect it is true. So quizzers, if you, if you have some virtual quizzing advice that we aren't talking about here, I, we'd very much like to hear from you. So email us at iq at cbqz.org, or you can chat with us on, um, in, on Twitter or in, uh, the Slack channel, uh, inside dash quiz dash quizzing. I can never say that correctly. Uh, cause we'd like to hear, you know, advice that you have, but advice that I would have is just like what Scott was saying, type your bib number in long before the question starts, right? Don't hit enter, uh, but be ready to hit enter and don't look at the chat box. Uh, look at the quiz master or listen to the quiz master. I'd say in virtual, it's probably far more an audio experience than a visual experience um, because there's going to be a little bit of a disconnect between the video and the audio. And uh, you're probably going to be able to hear a little bit better than what you're going to be able to see in terms of the mouth shape of the quiz master, right? So, you know, certainly watch the quiz master's mouth, but be listening very, very carefully. Don't watch the chat box. Um, be ready to hit enter as soon as you can. Uh, make sure that your, your chat is set to go to the quiz master directly. Um, because you'll get a, you know, a very, very slight performance increase by doing that. But whatever you do, don't look at the chat box, be ready, looking at the quiz master, listening to the quiz master so that you can, uh, you can get the most possible, uh, focus there. And then in terms of jump timing, uh, I don't know this, Scott, this is where your, you know, years of, of quizzing experience, uh, is probably going to be a, a lot better, uh, at, at, you know, providing advice than, than my experience, but you know, think about how much bleed you're going to get uh, versus your prep level by question type. And so what I mean by that is, you know, you're, this is something you would do normally with in-person quizzing, but I think it, it matters even more in virtual because in virtual, the bleed times are bigger, right? There is absolutely going to be a lag between when you press enter, assuming you're the only person who jumps, there is going to be a lag between when you press enter and when the quiz master stops talking because your enter has to go through your computer system out through the interwebs, hit the quiz master system. The quiz master then has to notice it, stop talking. And then that moment of stop, uh, you know, the, the microsecond syllable that the quiz master was saying right before they stop, then transmits back through the wire all the way back to your system before 
they actually call your name, right? So there's going to be more lag, uh, no matter what. And that lag is not going to be fair. Um, it's one of the big, probably the biggest disadvantage of, of in-person quizzing in terms of quiz fairness. There is going to be non-standard, uh, non-consistent uh, bleed time for different quizzers based on your internet connection. Um, I'm sorry to say it's just the way it is, right? Uh, and there really isn't a good way, there is, really isn't a way to get around that, right? So you're going to have to, as a quizzer, compensate for what you expect the bleed is going to be. And different quizmasters have different technology, right? So some quizmasters are really great at stopping very quickly with bleed. Others aren't so great. And some are great and have bad internet connections, um, which means they're going to have more bleed, even though they might stop, you know, very effectively with, you know, in-person quizzing when they've got, a, you know, a little bit of a bleed coming in because of the tech, you're going to experience that more as a quizzer. So you need to be prepared for that and adjust your timing accordingly. So I don't know, Scott, what do you, you have thoughts about this one? Yeah, I think... To me, it's pretty simple. You are going to get a little more information on average um, on every single – every quizzer, every jump. Um, and so I think it helps to look at the question types and how quickly they become unique and gettable. And looking at, say, interrogatives, I think the number of syllables that interrogatives take to become unique follows the most linear path, meaning at a half syllable, at one, at one and a half, at two, at two and a half, at three – four, five, you get like more percentage of the questions are knowable at that speed. Like it kind of ticks up over time. Now take a different type, like finish the verses. For finish the verses, it might be that you can get about um, a third of them at one syllable and you can get about 98% of them at two syllables. So like there's just a massive jump that just goes up super fast. And it's those question types that I think are highly exploitable in virtual because there's almost no chance you get below that kind of critical thresh syllable threshold. Whereas if you're in person, it's very easy to jump at half a second on a finish the verse if you would like to. Um, and that is definitely a, a huge positive of in-person quizzing and a huge positive of quiz masters that speak deliberately enough to allow for this. But it means that if a quizzer wants to take that risk, um, knowing that there's probably a, what, 15% chance of them getting it right at that speed, they are welcome to do so. In virtual, it is much harder to take a risk that precisely. And as such, everyone kind of will get two syllables maybe. Um, I haven't watched enough to know exactly. But I think it is closer to that critical threshold where if you're studied up, I would just jump crazy on them knowing that you're probably going to get enough to get them right provided that you have studied hard enough. Whereas for interrogatives, getting... 25% more syllables in interrogatives won't make as big of a difference to accuracy as getting an extra 25% of a finish the verse or even a question that has a reference involved in it, right? Like a chapter verse reference or a quote question. Yeah, absolutely. And then the last thing I've got here in terms of, you know, preparing to transition to virtual quizzing is think about your energy level, you know, Scott's talked about this a lot in terms of, you know, preparing for in-person meets, you know, especially, you know, with the Friday night into Saturday kind of stuff. But there's the same sort of thing that happens for virtual meets, but less of, well, 
less about the physicality of it, although there is some physicality that comes into play. I think it's more about just mental focus and getting bored. Um, like in virtual, it is a lot easier to get bored in the middle of a meet than it is with an in-person meet, right? With an in-person meet, there's a certain, I don't know, je ne sais quoi, a certain energy in the, in the room at the meet, that kind of thing that sort of persists throughout the course of the meet. And, and you can kind of get juiced on that sort of energy, right? That that's in the space in virtual. It feels very voidistic, right? There's, there's, there's that there's an emptiness there uh, that where that energy used to be, it is, it is gone. Right. And so, you know, certainly while you're in the moment of actually involved in, in a quiz and jumping and answering questions, right. You're, you're, you can have that focus and, and, uh, you know, be energized and engaged in what's going on. But between quizzes, especially if you've got a buy, uh, or like a break during lunch or something, it's very, very easy to lose focus. It's very easy to just get really bored. I mean, to be fair, we are spending hours and hours sitting in front of our computers, you know, chatting on Slack and in Zoom calls, right? So, I mean, I get it. it, it it's going to get boring uh, from time to time. Uh, and even when it's not boring, I mean, you can be in the middle of a quiz and it's very easy for your mind to wander, uh, you know, because you're not physically in a quiz room at that point. You're in a virtual room. So you want to... You know, I, I, I've, I've long said you want to train for how you want to perform, right? Uh, train as if you are performing, right? Uh, so when you are training, when you're practicing, uh, either with your team or with, you know, one or two other quizzers or, you know, just training uh, and preparing by yourself, train the ability to maintain focus even when things get really boring during a quiz meet. Uh, I, that's, you know, okay, that's a great idea. Then how do you do it? Well, it's, I think it's going to be different for every person, right? Um, for me, it's all about reminding myself of my motivations for being involved in quizzing or, or being involved in, in competition in general. Uh, why am I here? What am I doing? What, what are my goals? What am I trying to accomplish? Uh, and that, you know, and, and what, what are the reasons why I want to accomplish those things? Uh, the sort of the pros of achievement and the cons of non-achievement. And I remind, I remind myself of those, uh, those things. And that helps me maintain focus when I start to notice that, that my mind is wandering or I'm starting to get kind of bored, that kind of thing. Um, but that's me, right? Uh, for other folks, you know, like my son was in quizzing and, and for him, that was just not going to work. Like he needed a different, he needed more of like a, a physiological, he, he wanted, he, he would clap his hands or he would snap his fingers and that would kind of get him kind of refocused into the moment. So for every, for everybody, there's going to be something different. Um, Scott, what do you think about this one? I don't know because I am not a super social and outgoing person. And so I don't have a problem staying focused from the computer, but I so I, I just don't have the advice for someone um, else. And it seems like a weird thing to train for. Um, so I, I don't know that I have that many. Of, True. You know, but advice. like you do a lot of golf, right? So like, like when you're, when you're out on the golf course, do you have any sort of like mental state tricks to sort of get you into peak performance state before you take a swing? Huh, that's a good question. Golf is a weird one for me because it's just about the only activity in my life that while I'm doing it, I don't think about other stuff and it just kind of happens. Um, 
this is a tangent, but I had a friend tell him that the tr- the thing for him that was most relaxing was fly fishing because if he went and sat on a beach or something similar like that, his mind would just endlessly move with things. But when he was fly fishing, it was taken up with purely fly fishing and what the next physical motion that he had to make was. And it was very almost meditative and relaxing to his mind that way. And golf is similar for me, but let me try to think about, you know, when it comes to each shot, um, I actually find that the movement between shots helps a lot. So it could be that moving between quizzes would help a lot at being able to focus during a quiz. Um, I think the more that you sit, the more it might become tedious and monotonous. But if you get up and take a five-minute walk um, between quizzes, if you have that break, I think it can help you get back in the zone and focus when it comes time to quiz. I think if there are other other triggers that you use in your space, like maybe you have the ability to turn on um, an extra lamp at your desk when you're about to quiz, or I don't know how many people have oil diffusers or a Glade plug-in or something, or like put plug that in right when you're about to start quizzing that just helps your brain realize that you're quizzing. Um, all those things could probably help with focus. Those are some great ideas. I love that. I love the idea of like, yeah, if you have a desk lamp, turn it on when you're quizzing, turn it off when you're not quizzing. Uh, be intentional at getting up uh, and moving around when you're not quizzing. Uh, that's that's some great advice. Um, I, I, I fully support that. <laughs> I support that very much. Um, all right. So let's talk a little bit about transitioning from virtual back to in-person. Hopefully in PNW, we can do that you know, maybe in a couple of months, three months, something like that, four months, hopefully not too much further in the future. We've been doing this for, I mean, by the time we, we switch back to, to in-person, we will have been virtualizing for a good year, uh, maybe a year plus, uh, hopefully not too much on the plus side. Uh, so, you know, how, since we've gotten used to it, what are some things to keep in mind when we are at that point of getting back to in-person and the, and, and you might be thinking, okay, well, this might be an interesting intellectual exercise, but what does it matter that we worry about this now? Why don't we worry about it when we actually are at the point of switching back? Well, I think there are things that we need to do now to actually start preparing ourselves for that transition back to in-person, right? Um, so I would do whatever you can to practice quick kind of meditational steps to kind of snap yourself back into high focus because, uh, and this is similar to what Scott was talking about in terms of like, you know, the light trick or the glade plug-in trick or something like that. But obviously you can't take those things to a quiz meet with you. Um, or maybe you can, but please don't. Um, but instead, Think of ways that you can get yourself snapped into high focus when you are going back into a an in-person meet. Because now imagine, I'll give you a scenario. Imagine this was your very first quiz meet and imagine you're in room one and you're a rookie. You've never you know seen a quiz meet before, let's say, and now you're in room one and there's 50 or 100 people watching you. And there's a lot of situational distractions as a result of this, right? Like you're, there's lights, you know, if you're on a stage on, on a church, maybe there's lights shining in your face. You can't see uh, terribly well. Uh, there's ambient noise going on. There's, you know, the people next to you. There's the creak of your seat uh, happening. There's all kinds of things that are going to be distracting you in that moment, right? Now, if you're not a rookie anymore, you've quizzed for a few years, these you, you've developed an ability to 
you know, mitigate that stuff, right? You've been, you've developed an ability to focus when you need to focus, even if you're in room one and there's a high stress moment, you're still focused on, on what you need to do. Well, because of this last year, you are now 12 months or whatever it happens to be away from actually practicing that level of sort of situational control, of focus control, right? And you need to be able to start training now uh, or soon to now, maybe start in January, start training so that you are able to kind of snap yourself into 100% focus in the moment when you we get back to the in-person uh, quizzing. So um, some things that you're going to need to care about when we get to that point of in-person quizzing, note that when we start in-person quizzing, competition is going to increase because we're going to have certain teams that were not able to, uh, or not able or not interested in doing virtual quizzing uh, this last year are going to return and the competition is going to increase when we're at in-person, which is a good thing, right? Uh, but so now though is the time to memorize more and to review more and get yourself in the best possible possible advantage you can. So like last year and the year before, um, you know, Scott mentioned around this time of year to use the Christmas New Year's break to your advantage that, you know, even when we were doing in-person, 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 there's a fairly lengthy break uh, between the December and January meet. Well, sometimes it's a late November meet and an early uh January meet. So there's a fairly decent sized break uh, with, you know, uh, Thanksgiving and uh, Christmas and New Year's and all that kind of stuff happening and family and, and so forth. And so the it was to an a quizzer's advantage to use the opportunity there to continue to study to continue to memorize and to get better because not every quizzer was willing to put in the the kind of time so i i sort of i'm i'm reminded of when i was in cycling um i i used to do competitive cycling back in in high school and uh one of the things that I was particularly excited about when I was cycling is I is uh, when there would be a mountain stage in front of me, uh, because uh, not because I was particularly great at mountain stages, but because I knew other people didn't prepare as hard for mountain stages as how and, and I used that as uh, to my advantage. Right. Uh, folks would prepare for sprints or for time trials or they would, you know, prepare for, you know, long distance, flat stages, that kind of stuff uh, to be able to increase their their positions really effectively they wouldn't focus as much on mountain stages in general, right? At least in the comp the competition space where I was. Um, and so as a result, I ended up focusing on mountain stages to my advantage, not because I was particularly great at those things, but because uh, I, I was surrounded by competitors who did not focus on those things. So when you have that opportunity, uh, you want to, you know, play to it as much as you can. So anyway, there's, there's a lot of stuff there, but uh, Scott, what are your thoughts about, you know, switching back to in-person? Well, to me, quizzing at a high level is all about timing and virtual has been in a, an entirely different world of timing. So when, when moving back to in-person, I, I would want to work on my timing as much as possible, which means as much quizzing as possible and as many different quiz masters as possible with lots of switches. So, I mean, if I was um, running a church program, I would try to get as many people who had quiz mastered as I could to come to a practice and switch them every like six questions and just go for um, 
120 questions. So six quizzes. You could probably do that in a couple hours. Um, you could do it without. You could do teams, but not do A's and B's, just because the pure numbers is what you're going for. And just get the quizzers back in the method of like physically jumping while watching what the quiz master's saying and then answering, and then just that whole physical process of jumping, looking, hearing, doing it all at the same time, and then switching and adapting to a new quiz master, um, I think would be extremely useful because virtual is a completely different world and you need to untrain your brain from that going back to in-person. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you, you, you don't want to wait until the last minute to do that, right? Now, certainly we don't know when we're switching and it could be several months and there is a fairly, you know, lengthy roadmap in front of us, right? Uh, you know, and I'm and I'm definitely not encouraging anyone to do anything unsafe. You know, uh, but if you are able to, you know, meet together with your team, uh, you can begin the process of preparing for that transition back to in person, and your team will be an adv- at an advantage relative to other teams that don't do that. You can have, you know, a really you know A class uh, team that doesn't prepare for the transition back to in person. And that first meet is going to be kind of a, a slap for them. They're they're gonna they're gonna be kind of a little bit off their game, a little bit you know not able to focus as quite as well, right? And if you don't have that sort of handicap walking into the first meet, uh, the first in person meet, uh, you'll be in an advantage, uh, and it'll be a great advantage. Uh, now it's it's not going to last, you know. It's it's you know it's probably only going to be that first meet but it'll be a real you know uh kick forward for you in that first meet so now is the time to start thinking about whatever your strategy is going to be you don't necessarily need to put that strategy into play just yet but be thinking about what you're going to do when the time comes all right well let's move on to a couple of uh philosophical question ideas uh, so, Sky, do you want to kind of introduce a couple of these ideas and then we'll kind of dive in? Yeah. So this is around question writing. And from the question writer's perspective, and the question I'm asking is, how can we best test the material? So we're looking at interrogative questions. And the specific scenario is multiple questions from the same verse that start in the same place um, and have the same interrogative Um, Actually, that doesn't really matter that they have the same interrogative necessarily, but the answer length is different. So one example would be from, um, let's see here, Matthew 4.21, who were in a boat with their father Zebedee and who were in a boat? So the answer is the exact same in both of them, but in both of those, the questions are a different length. Another one would be from Matthew 4, 6. He will command whom, with the answer being his angels. And another version of this question is he will command his angels concerning you, and they will what? Lift you up in their hands. And to me, as long as the difference in amount of material is reasonably close, then I only want to write one of these. Because to me, they're testing the exact same thing with just a slightly different amount of material in the in um, the question and answer together. Now, if one of them was very short and one of them was very long, I might write them both because then we're kind of, you know, forcing the quizzer to come up with all of that information for one of them. Um, But that would be my first one. If they start the same way and the sum of information is very similar, I really only want to write one of those. Counterpoint. Okay. Well, so 
I generally agree uh, with what you're saying. I think I probably disagree with maybe sort of the second part of this. So imagine a scenario, and we've we've got one that we talked about right before we started on the podcast. This is from Matthew 4, 6. Uh, and one of them, let me see if I've got the... No, that's not correct. Well, so this is just echoing what you said before. He will command whom his angels... This is from 4, 6. And then he will command his angels concerning you, and they will what? Lift up... Uh, lift you up in their hands. Both of them valid questions. Uh, I would probably write both of them, I think. Yeah, I would probably write both of them, but I would lean toward wanting to only write the second one rather than the first one, because I think they test the same material in basically the same way, and and will command is a two-word key phrase. Command is key to the chapter. Uh, you know, he will command uh, is pretty i mean it's it's obviously it's very key um so you know do i want the quizzer just to answer you know his angels and just be done or do i want to evoke more material from the quizzer i i tend to want to do the latter not the former so i would i guess i'm probably okay with both questions being written but if i only if i was only going to write one i would write the longer of the two questions that being said there's, I think, a value in writing both questions because we want to have a wide variety of question difficulty. Uh, and so I want both short and long questions in the pool because I don't want the expectation to be that when a longer question can be written, that that one will always be written. Rather, I want there to be a certain level of randomness uh, so that, uh, you know, quizzers are, 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 are forced to prepare even better. Um, but there was a different one and I forget the example. We were talking about it right before we started recording. Um, Scott, this, this where... is the second, this is the second scenario. Do you want me to introduce okay. that scenario? Yeah, let's go to, cause I think we agree on the first one, but I think we possibly disagree on the second one. All right. So the, the second one is, so back on the first one. I definitely agree that you want a range of difficulties of questions in a question set, but I think you can totally get there um, from different verses and not doubling up with the exact same start because then this, for whatever reason, this verse start or this phrase start is going in my, in my mind will be overrepresented in the question set when why not have the easy range of question just come from somewhere else where it lends itself right, right. better towards being written as a short interrogative, right? Right. All right, so the second construct is, um, I guess, back on the first. There, we do have a couple questions that I actually did, Mark, but um, a light has dawned where? On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has what? Dawned. I might leave both of those because um, a light has dawned where? It's asking for something a little bit different. I think the quintessential example is when interrogative questions. So it's like, you know, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the tomb when, um, I would definitely write that question as well as maybe Mary Magdalene and the other Mary what, um, or went where, even though they start the exact same way. But to me, it's testing different things for the quizzer. One in one, they have to go back to give material and in one, they have to keep going forward. And so even though they start the exact same way to me, that is overridden by the fact that they're testing separate parts of the material in the answer. Um, but the second construct is best embodied in Matthew 4.16. The shadow of what and what shadow? So both of them are valid interrogatives. The shadow of what? Death. What shadow? The shadow of death. And to me, because it is testing the exact same material, 
with the exact same question type, like everything, I want to just pick which of these two um, test it better. Yeah, and in that exact scenario, I agree with you, right? Um, and I would prefer shadow of what, right? Or versus what shadow, because I like the, as purely as a personal preference, not as anything that is, you know, makes it, you know, a legal uh, uh, question or, or not, valid question or not. But purely out of, of preference, I like questions better that you replace the interrogative with the the answer and you get the the quote of scripture, right? So for mm -hmm. me, I'd be I'd, I'd I'd be a very big fan of shadow of what, um, you know, in terms of of testing that material knowledge. And if I write that question to me, what shadow is completely redundant, right? Um, I don't, I don't want to write that question because it, it's a different form of exactly the same question, right? That said, and this would be a ter this is a terrible example, but imagine a question that was what of death, right? Um, I don't like that question because it's very awkward. Um, so pretend that this is an example of a non-awkward version of this. So let's say I have shadow of what, and then I have what of death, right? And let's say of death was a two word key phrase and it very well may be, but, um, you know, valid question. Let's say it's not awkward. I would actually be very much in favor of that question as a secondary or not as a secondary. I would want to have both the A question and the B question in that scenario, because even though it, it is testing the exact same material. It's testing it in a different way. It's whether the quizzer can recognize shadow or recognize of death, right? Even though shadow of death is the material to be memorized. Does that make sense? Totally. And you see that all, all over the material where it might be um, noun and then did all this verbing stuff. And so you say noun what, right, as a unique word. But then you also say who and then did all the verbs. And so you, you ask both sides of it, even though the total material is the exact same in both of those questions, to me, I totally agree. They're very different. You're testing um, the quizzer's ability to identify very different parts of the material as the starting part of that question. Yeah. But this well, also- Well, this makes me sad, though. Oh, because we agree? It, yeah, it makes me sad because we agree. Like, I was thinking yeah. it was going to be really interesting, but it turns out, no, we just agree. Yeah, so it's base. Yeah, it's because the shadow of and what shadow like we we deem those to basically be the same thing, you know, um, right? But it does shine light on. Let's say that this is a chapter verse reference question, um, and you could potentially have either of these. If I'm the quizmaster, I have no idea how to apply this determining reference word or phrase. Um, rule in the rule book for a valid reference question, right? If if what shadow is my valid CVR and the quizzer says the shadow of what, like, have they not given me my determining reference word or phrase? Have they? You know, if my question is the shadow of what and they say shadow of what, is that qualify? And it just shows the murkiness. Whereas, I mean, previous to that being in the rule book, if the quizzer gives what shadow, the shadow of what, shadow of what, we're just accepting all of it because it's the same question. <laughs> You know, it's functionally the same question, even if there are very slight different forms of it. Right. Indeed. Well, and on that bombshell of agreeing, uh, we should probably 
close things out. And I want to remind everybody, we mentioned this a little bit before, but I want to remind everybody, we very much want to hear from you, uh, whether you agree with us or even better if you disagree with us, uh, or in the case of, uh, you know, this podcast, if you have additional ideas around how to transition into virtual or how to transition out of virtual or any sort of ideas related to anything we've talked about, we very much want to hear from you. So email us at iq at cbqz.org and you can follow us on Twitter. Our account is at Inside Quizzing. And you can also chat with us on Slack in very near real time uh, in the pound inside dash quizzing uh, channel. And with that, I will say thank you all for listening. And thank you, Scott. Thanks, Griffin. Thanks, everyone, for listening. <laughs>